0: Hello, and welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino, and I am a psychotherapist in Chicago. And I welcome you to this conversation where we talk about the intersectional journey of healing self while healing others. And today's episode is quite a bit different than episodes that I've done in the past. And let me kind of let you in on what I'm thinking about right now. So we're in the midst of a pandemic. There's a racial reckoning happening and we are on the precipice of probably the most important election that's ever happened in American history. So NBD, right? (laughs) Like, Whatever. Who cares? And one of the things that I try to balance as a podcaster is incorporating what's happening in the outside world and at the same time sharing for you what's going on with my process. And I was talking with my amazing editor, Andrea, about what do I what the fuck do I do right now? Because it's just crazy times. And if you listen to last week's episode, you'll hear Jennifer Contarino and I talking about Trump anxiety disorder and my hope that everyone goes out to vote so that we can save our democracy. And, you know, I kind of wrestled with I wanted to share some personal things that have happened to me, but I also didn't want to distract from the national conversation. And what I essentially came to is that the healing that I've been experiencing throughout this time is part of the collective. And what I believe, and I know my my guest today, Livia, believes, is that we are undergoing a spiritual transformation right now, all of us. And- Essentially, this is my personal experience of this spiritual transformation. You know, I went away and at least for you guys, it was August. For me, it was the end of July that I went away and I went to treatment. You guys, I went to a treatment center for trauma and I wanted to I wanted to share with you what happened, but I didn't want to do it alone. And so I invited my dear best friend Livia Boudries to talk about it with me. You've heard me mention her name before. We've never had her on the podcast. And, you know, she's had a bunch of stuff going on in her life. And so it just hasn't been the right time for her to, to be the typical guest. But when I said, hey, will you come and support me? She was like, I will absolutely be there. So... This is this is not about her. (laughs) It's all about me, which is quite uncomfortable. But uh, let me tell you at least about Livia, because she is truly one of the most amazing humans that I have in my life. And I think that you will also you'll hear why she's one of my BFFs. So Livia is the pioneer of the yoga-informed psychotherapy trainings and is dedicated to the integration of neurobiology, somatics, yoga, and psychotherapy practices. She's a licensed clinical social worker holding a master's of social service administration from the University of Chicago. Livia is also a certified yoga therapist with the International Association of Yoga Therapists and a somatic experiencing practitioner. And there's so many more amazing things about Livia, but I imagine you probably want to hear this conversation. So thank you, Livia. I know you're listening to this at some point. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for being my best friend. Now I want to cry. Thank you for loving me through a really hard period of time in my life. And thank you to listeners for for holding this with care. I'm sharing this with you because... I want to be honest, I want to be authentic, and I want to give hope. And this is, this is me. This is it. <laughs> and I've talked about, you know, sort of the gifts of, of this podcast have been my healing. And so I don't want to not share that with you. So thank you. So thank you for holding me with care like I know that you will do. And please enjoy this conversation with my BFF, Livia Boudrys. Hi, Livia. Hey, Sarah. I'm so happy you're here. Finally, finally, <laughs> I'm <forever> get here. <laughs> I know, and I love that it's only in service of me that you're here, <laughs> not in service of
1: yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but that's my preference.
0: <laughs> yeah, but just just so listeners know, this is my best friend. This is my best friend, Livia Budries. Nice to meet you
1: universe.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I took a break in July and August and the listeners knew I took a break and I, I promised them that at some point I would come back and talk about that. And I, I thought about what was the best way to share that information. And I really, really hate monologuing on the podcast so much. And, Obviously, like you're my best friend, and so talking about this with you is really easy. But also, some things that you said to me and the process of of making the decisions that I made were so profound that I really wanted to have this conversation with you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, it's been a journey. I feel like I've been on to your side with, and mm-hmm. such a honor to be on the journey with you. It's taught me a lot too. So I'm really glad to have this conversation on the other side of things. Oh, that's interesting. I'll be interested to know what like what it taught you too, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well,
0: do you want to say anything to listeners about who you are in the world?
1: Yeah, I'm a clinical social worker and I am also a yoga therapist and a somatic experiencing practitioner. And I'd say also a spiritual activist, yeah. Yeah. And I, I mostly see work with individuals right now, but I do have a huge passion for systems change and, and group work. You know, I really love orienting to the collective.
0: hmm hmm And you're a magical human. Oh.
1: <laughs> and myself, sister, and all the things. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess, where should we even start? What do you think? Because you you being on the outside might have like a
1: better sense of the timeline or? Well, I mean, I think I think that you and I have been having conversations for a long time about the stigma that's surrounding mental health providers who have mental health concerns. Mm hmm. The ways that you and I actually started to go like, oh wow, we really like each other. We really share a lot of the same beliefs mm-hmm. about that sort of false barrier that's between, you know, the idea that we are as providers somehow arrive to the space without any, you know, anything inside us that needs to be continued to look at, looked at, healed or supported. So, you know, you've always been someone who I've looked up to as having courage to, you know, talk about this freely. And now you have your podcast and, mm-hmm. you know, this is really part of your whole process. So it's been, you know, a long time just talking about this and here, you know, you've gone in to do something really important for yourself. And I would love to hear about like what went through your head as you were approaching that time where you started to think like, you know, I needed some support. Yeah, I know about that process.
0: Yeah, well, and I guess to just just tell listeners explicitly what happened, I went to a treatment program in Arizona, a trauma treatment program, and I spent three weeks doing really intensive therapy and resting and playing. So I guess the journey up to that, you know, I mean, yes, we've been having conversation for a long time and it's kind of funny to think about this podcast is about two and a half years old right now and I've I've been like what I would consider in it like in the mess this entire time Mm -hmm. and that's when our, our friendship has been deepening over that time too and the way that I kind of conceptualize it is that I really have just been kind of holding things together for the past several years and when coronavirus hit I couldn't hold it together anymore because I I was already spinning so many plates, had so many balls in the air and I think really kind of the two the two components that put me over the edge, you know, I've talked on the podcast about like the codependency of being a business owner, like the codependency that I experience as a business owner of you know, I really realized deeply that in creating my business, I've created the family that I always wanted. And with that, the pressure that I put on myself to be the perfect parent, the perfect boss has been like ridiculous. And up until the beginning of 2020, I was doing it. I was the single parent <laughs> doing it all by myself. And, and in 2020, I was lucky enough to find Rael, my executive director, who is a fucking blessing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. So all of the changes that had to happen in the business because of COVID, you know, all the pressure those created, you know, the the concern about my staff and taking care of them and making sure telehealth is working and insurance is paying and all of that. So like that stress was a was a really big piece of it. And of course, that's like you know I relate that to my Alanonism, codependency, childhood trauma. Right. Right. And then the other piece that you and I have talked about so much, too, is the the experience of sexual trauma. And mm-hmm. there, there's a whole episode where we're going to go into this more in detail. So sorry, listeners, you're going to have to wait for that one, too, for, for more of the specific details about that. But But experiencing sexual trauma and then essentially recognizing sexual abuse in my childhood and the awareness, like the denial, the the glasses being taken off and seeing it all really yeah. for what it was that just became too
1: much right 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 and I mean this has just been a such a huge year of glasses coming off for many of us and so right. it's you know you've been aware and working on that inner world and healing your inner world and yet all of those factors combined just sounds like you know, it all came to the surface at the same time. And with the pressure Mm -hmm. and the stresses, it's sounds Mm -hmm. just really hard.
0: Yeah. And it it was funny because I was talking to my psychiatrist yesterday, and he was talking about trauma in such a clinical way. And I think so much of this trauma, too, is this spiritual evolution as well right like that's something we've talked about a lot like 2020 is this is this is a reckoning on so many levels and i like i can't even describe i i can always feel it when other people are talking about it and the the spiritual aspect the depth of it and i hope that listeners i hope that listeners can kind of grasp that too because it's I don't even know if I have words for it. And I think that that's probably an indicator of it being something outside of me connected to others, but also, you know, part of my soul's lineage. I don't even know. I don't even know what words are coming out right now
1: <laughs> right. I mean, that's that that's the power of deep reorganization or yeah um, finding ourselves in the chaos. So either way, it's like we go through these these deep, you know reconciliations, reorganizations you know, it wouldn't be profound change if we're still looking at the same, you know, same person. It's like that willingness to walk through, even though we don't know what's going to happen on the other side of the transformation process. And, you know, I remember us talking about that too. I think earlier in 2020, we were both discussing just that, that feeling of, I know something needs to shift. I know that there's a change Mm -hmm. part of my you know, journey. And, and yet, (laughs) and we've been with it on, so with others as therapists, and yet, you know, when you're in the hot seat, it's like, I really don't know what's on the other side. We go through that unknown place. And, you know, I would imagine that you're still integrating some of this healing process. And so it's like, we go through that unknown and that's the scary, that's really scary. It can feel really scary. It can feel like, you know, we're not anchored, but This is what it's really such a privilege to hear about your journey, because we get a glimpse into like what that can look like. And that Mm -hmm. we're still here. We survived it.
0: (laughs) Right. And speaking of that, too, like you talking about this, like what's on the other side, there's definitely a deep, there's a deep fear of annihilation isn't the right word, but it's There's something about like going beyond the ego because it's unanchored, right? It is that like expanding beyond into something that I don't know and then I don't exist anymore. Right.
1: Or how I knew myself doesn't Mm -hmm. exist.
0: Right. And then who am I? And it's funny, you know. In Narm, we talk a lot about like disidentification, essentially, like really shifting from this, like this is who I am. I know myself, yeah. And you know, I'm a I'm a business owner. I'm a therapist. I am this and I'm that. But but moving beyond that, and it's kind of a yes and. But in the moment, in the crisis, it feels like an either
1: or. That's right. Yeah. Gosh, that's that makes so much sense. I'm just thinking about the process of letting go of what we identify with you know all those mm-hmm. roles and conceptions of self that are outside of ourselves you know and they're important you know we need to have some something to help us organize our expression in the world but right. when we identify them with them so strongly they can make it really difficult for us to depart and become something new or even closer to who we're meant to be right right
0: and the other piece that's related to this that's interesting is the way that my psyche tells me that I'm in trouble and I need to create a massive shift in my life is to tell me that I want to kill myself <laughs> or, or not, not that that's not true. It's not, it's never that I want to kill myself. It's that I don't want to be alive. Yeah. And that was, that was, that was the moment. I remember it was a Friday and I was sitting on the couch and Rich was gone and I think I was with, I think we hit, still had Phoebe, this lovely, wonderful creature who made my life a tear for a couple of months. <laughs> this this rescue dog who was just not the right fit for us. And and I just remember thinking, I want to die. And this is not, this is not me, you know? And it's, it's happened in my adult life before that spurred me to go on to onsite and to do some work there. But that's, for whatever reason for me, that's the alarm bell that like, I, I have to make a major, I have to do something really big right now.
1: Mm, mm, wow, this is really, I just have to say this is really hitting me really profoundly. I never really thought about the movement toward, I don't want to be here or the movement toward wanting to die as also simultaneously a recognition of I'm not the person yes. that I want to be or I'm not, you know, something's not, you know, I'm not really showing up in my truest capacity, or my best self, or the self I want to be, or believe I can be, and so on. So it's like there's a thought about this being as a, a, an awakening into the recognition that something does need to die, something does need to shift. Right. There's this Caribbean psychiatrist, Franz Fanon, who talks about as we move towards freedom, there's always madness, you know, and that's sort of like mm. open. You know, he talks about it around colonization, but we can think about it as, you know, what you just said is moving towards, you know, a disidentification with the self that we were, which can feel crazy. Right, right. And essential, right? An essential process sometimes. Right. It was an essential process for you.
0: I think so, right? Because I mean... The decision to go to treatment, you know, I've, I guess the other thing I want to share for listeners too is the profound impact that it had on me that I've walked my clients through this decision. And now I'm going to cry because that like, that's the piece that I don't know, there's something really sacred about that, about like walking the same path that I've walked a lot of other people on and being, being the receiver of all of that care and support you know, it was a lot of money. <laughs> and and I remember the conversation I had with you about like, well, what if I don't, you know, I have to make the right decision because what if I don't get what I need? And do you remember what you said?
1: No, oh, what did I say? I
0: will never forget it. You said, you said, you won't get what you need. You will give yourself what you need wherever you go.
1: Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And
0: truly like that, That's what gave me the courage to just go ahead and like make a decision because I was going between two different places and that that was one of the things that it was like it doesn't matter where I go because I'm going to be there and I have what I need to heal I just need the space and and the opportunity to do
1: it yeah exactly wow 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 that's really that's really profound so that just oriented you back to yourself sounds right. 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 Yeah. Which is which is one of the things
0: that felt really when I relate coronavirus to my own developmental trauma, you know, as a child I had this feeling that I have to take care of everything myself because nobody is seeing the truth. Right. And that's that's exactly what's happening in our country right now and so you know, the way that the government has reacted that like that just like really brought everything like so crystal clear right in front of me. And I didn't have the capacity to give it to myself. I didn't, I, I could not step into from an arm perspective, we call it adult consciousness. I just could not step into adult consciousness and trust that I had that. So you reflecting that back to me. And there's something about like, because I struggle to take in love and true support but there's something about there's something about you and it's I'm part of it is our friendship but I think it's a lot deeper than that and I also think part of it is knowing the struggles that you've been through and that you continue to go through as well that like you, you're in an, in it just the same as I am Absolutely. you know
1: yeah yeah so uh, you know knowing that I so I, I think what I'm hearing you say is that knowing that that I've been through it and I'm going through things and that I don't see myself or present myself as like free from or healed from or devoid of these, you know, life challenges that there's something in that resonance that lets me feel like you can hear what I'm saying or take it in or trust it.
0: Yeah, and I don't know it's cuz it, cuz when you say it like that that sounds a lot like the therapeutic relationship but there's something about us like truly walking side by side, <laughs> right? You know, right? That that I'm just
1: right.
0: It's just so interesting the friendships that I have now and the depth that is cultivated while I'm on this journey of being a therapist and and seeking spiritual growth and all of that stuff. That my relationships have been transformed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you see that? What's the transformation you see happening?
0: I mean, I feel kind of like I said earlier, there's, there's so much beyond the words. And I don't know if I I just, I hope, I hope listeners are going to get it. And I I have a feeling y'all will, because if you've been sticking with me this long, like you're around for some sort of reason, but it's just a level of depth. I don't know. I don't know. Eh.
1: So what was the moment like when, you know, it sounds like you, you've you come into understanding that you need more support. What were the barriers or the struggle to mm. get in place? I mean, was there something that you were able to identify looking back that like, wow, this is really hard or this is in my way to just like move forward with, you know, you touched a little bit on that, but I'm curious what it the- is, yeah. because I'm sure that other people, like a lot of us struggle with that, like, okay, finally we've accepted that we need support, but then there's this other step of actually moving toward. That's
0: such a good question. And, and I, I hope that my answer will be helpful for listeners. I mean, because I'm in the industry, I knew who I could reach out to. And that was that that for me was like this kind of I I didn't have to take that step that a lot of people have to go through the, you know, researching, right? Like I already knew I had two places in mind. I knew like one for sure that I really wanted. And so I reached out to we call them outreach marketing reps, listeners, essentially for different treatment centers. And so I reached out to a couple of those people and I said, I need help. And they said, I will do whatever I can for you. And. The first barrier for me was the mental gymnastics of how do I step away from my business? Part of that being, you know, concrete and like literally, you know, who's going to do X, Y, Z when I'm gone. But the the other part of it, I think really was mostly energetically and how can I, yeah. how can I unfurl my clasped
1: fist. (laughs) I mean, that sounds like the first step in like a huge part of the healing process actually started or maybe, you know, really got there. I mean, I'm just thinking about just like the, you know, how connected you are to your work and how that was part of the journey there. Yeah. You said energetically assess that and find your way through it. Sounds, Sounds like a big step. I mean, that that part just kind of felt like
0: diving off a cliff, truthfully. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I'm kind of going nonlinear, like off the timeline right now. But just thinking about all of the all of the ways that I I prepared my leaving probably more than any other person prepares taking a vacation. <laughs> like I literally dotted every I and crossed every T and Like, God bless Raelle, was just like kind of watching me do all these things and like, you don't really need to do this, but okay. And I even worked like right up until I had to leave, right? Like, I had a a presentation the morning that I was going to be getting on a plane. Like, and now that I think about that, how fucking insane that was that I thought I really had to do that. And I, I did. There were a couple presentations that I canceled. There were things that I, I asked if I could postpone. I had to ask if I could step away from teaching this fall semester. And that that was huge because that's, such, that's something that's really important to me is, is fostering the growth of new clinicians. But because of COVID, there were extra preparations that had to happen that because I was gone, there was literally no way I would have been able to do it. And so the fear of the blow to the ego with that was also difficult, but every single person that I reached out to and said, Hey, this is what's going on. Every single person said, I am so glad you're taking care of yourself. And I really truly didn't feel any judgment.
1: Right. Right. So those are like, that's a really powerful image, this image of jumping off the cliff. And I think a lot of us that have been in a healing process, you know, can relate to that experience that there's that critical moment of like, am I going, am I going to do this? Is this possible? And all the things that, you know, hold us back. And so it can feel like the opposite, you know, the opposite momentum is in the direction of, you know, flying off a cliff and that free fall that, what is that? Like an act of trust and faith. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's on the backdrop, though, of, like, your people telling you, like, we got you. You can do this. This is right for you. Right. If that's the thing. It's like there's that leap. But then it sounds like what happened was this surround of, like, and you're being really, like, you're loved and held.
0: And at the time, that was painful. Uh-huh. It, was painful to, it was painful to receive that. And the tears right now, I guess, are about... I'm like touching into how painful it was for me to feel like I can't be Superwoman. Like that—that is—that's one of the identities, the ways that I've shown up in the world. You know, like people say to me all the time, "I don't know how you do what you do," and I'm like, "I don't know either." Yeah, because it's killing—it's killing me. It was killing me. Um, and to let go of that was really hard, really hard, and. It's funny, like, you know, I've been in Al Anon for four years and been been working on that, but they're at the, at just a, a deeper level of how, like, embedded in my, fa- in the foundation of myself that was.
1: Yeah. I can relate to that around mm-hmm. limitation and meeting my limitation. Mm-hmm. I think that I still work through this, this belief that I have. No limits, or you know, maybe it's partially cultural. I yeah. feel like you know, I can do you know, whatever I if I just work hard enough, if I just you know, do all the right things. And so, to come into my limitation has been excruciating and painful. And unexpectedly, on the other side of it, for me, has I felt freeing, but it wasn't before I felt you know, that that sort of that depths of pain related to that identification with, you know, my limitlessness. Right. Right. My true limitlessness that I, you know, right. Right. Cause, cause this is also
0: related to, you know, like the other barrier I'm thinking about is listeners. If you've listened to the episode with my husband, you know him and I talk about him all the time here, but there was a part of me that felt like I was letting him down by leaving. But it's so funny because I was, I mean, I was failing as a human. (laughs) Like I was checking all the boxes that I needed to check in order to like do my work and keep the business running. But I wasn't doing anything at home. Like Rich was, I mean, he's been doing the heavy lifting at home for several years now because I just haven't had the capacity to... (laughs) To show up really in life. And and it's just so interesting to think about that now. Like, I was afraid of letting him down, but but now I'm able to and now I'm able to do the dishes and take the dog for a walk and it's no big deal. And so it's it did turn out better for him. But I think too, there was a part I was afraid he was gonna judge me.
1: Right. Right. Wow. Yeah, which, you know, is about our own judgment. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I love our loved ones. They take our projections all the time. <laughs> I know, I know. Sweet husband. Yeah. Hmm.
0: I think the other thing too around this that I want to share is kind of the last barrier that I anticipated and I knew was coming. Like I've walked through people going to treatment enough times to know exactly what happens when you get there. Right. And I knew I was going to get there and regret it. And I did, right. <laughs> I did the first, you know, the first few hours and that, and that next day were awful mm. and, you know, not to any fault of the treatment center. It's, this is, it's just kind of the process of, of the way people are admitted and it, uh, yeah, I felt like a prisoner. I felt like, you know, all of my autonomy was stripped away and I, I knew like I had this vision of myself, like crying alone in my bed that night. And that's exactly what happened. And, but there was something about knowing that that was going to happen that I just told myself, like, just hang on, like, just hang on. It does get better. Like you've seen it a million times with other people before this gets better.
1: Right, right. I mean, that's just gotta be on so many levels that transition has gotta be so challenging. And it's making me think about the stage of healing around acceptance. Yeah. You know, because before you got there it was just still an idea. It was like still right. an idea. And then, you know, I need the support. I'm gonna get the support. It's gonna be hard. Whatever ideas we have. And then you get there and you're actually there. And so I'm guessing, you know, you get confronted with like the reality. Yep. There's like the choice. I either move into acceptance or I don't. Right.
0: Right. And having watched so many people go through that before, like, it's funny, I was the whole time I was there, I was obviously, you know, there to receive and do my own work and get support. But of course, I'm like looking around like a clinician, too. And just kind of, you know, watch, watching, watching the different stereotypical ways that we humans show up when we're in pain, and we're asking for help, and things aren't going the way that
1: we want them to go. (laughs) What happened after that? I mean, what, when did it start to sink in? And what was your transition like after admission? Mm-hmm. And also like, when did you begin to be able to like, I want to know about like going from not able to in the support and love to like, oh my gosh, you're like being surrounded by a whole team that's like dedicated to your well-being. I mean, I'm curious also if you can talk to that. I think that that's got to be really like interesting.
0: Well, I think. And, and this feels very unique to me being a therapist and potentially unique to the way that the treatment center treated me. I don't know, but the first night I felt like I was being treated just like a number, just like anybody. And, and not, you know, this is kind of like an ego thing, like, well, do you know who I am? But it's, but it's like, do you know that I know what you know? (laughs) Can you, can you treat me with respect in that way? And recognizing like, I know all this information and yet I'm not able to help myself. So that first night, I think it was being treated like, like somebody who didn't know anything about mental health that felt invalidating and, and scared me. But then the next day, In order to transition into the residential area, I had a trillion appointments with a bunch of different doctors and whatnot. And in those interactions, people were like, we know who you are. We're so glad you're here. Tell me what's happening. Let me get you over to the other side as soon as possible because we know that this (laughs) this isn't gonna be helpful for you on this side. And so that like being, it's being seen. It's being seen and being, it was being affirmed of like, Yes, you're you're seeing things clearly. Like you do know what's going on. Let's get you the support that you need. That that was that was the shift. And then when I went over to the, you know, the patients are like the other side. When I went over to the other side, it's just literally much more comfortable too. So having a giant queen bed (laughs) with with amazing linens. And and for you know, the first couple days I had my own room. So so being able to to be quiet, be in stillness, be able to like meditate without you know yeah. beeping medical equipment and you know people doing whatever they're doing right outside your room with no door mm. so literally just just being able to have a little bit of peace and quiet and then and then the day after that was when I started to meet the therapy team that I'd be working with for the next three weeks, and that that too, like when i when I got to meet each therapist and each therapist then would affirm like. We know who you are. We see you. You're doing the right thing. And I also got a lot of affirmation for the fact that this is a deep spiritual journey for me and not just, oh, Sarah has depression, right? That's That wasn't what it was. It was like, there's a deep core soul trauma <laughs> that we're working through and we're moving through and being met in that way too. If I hadn't had that spiritual aspect to it, I don't know that it, it would have felt as effective for me.
1: Yeah, well, I, I'm guessing that some of what you brought again back to that idea of like, what did you bring into the supportive space, right? Your soul's asking for that mm-hmm. experience and that process to be a deeply spiritual one. And it sounds like you were treated as an individual and seen as an individual and in your unique self and like your you know orientation towards healing was respected and and also met. Right,
0: right. And that doesn't happen everywhere. Right. I don't want to tell people like, oh, yes, go ask for help. And you're going to get exactly, you know, you're going to get everything you need because not not all treatment centers are created equal. Not all therapists are created equal. And I just I just happen to not I just okay, I'm going to take agency here that I have cultivated a network of people that I trust. And so I knew that I could trust certain people based on conversations and experiences that I'd had prior to this
1: hmm Right. Right. <laughs> What's coming up for you right now? I feel like I want to ask about or I want to talk to why people go through the initial Yeah. Cause it just sort of, yeah. it's it's rattling. And so I'm gonna ask about that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just for your listeners and for those that aren't oriented to what higher level of care looks like. It's that initial That initial stage and often called like stabilization, it's really that first night or two is really a extensive, more medical experience, right? And so really to help people and to make sure that actually the residential system is equipped to medically support somebody. Because if they're not, you know, they they will need to make a different referral, maybe to inpatient or so. And so you know, ultimately it's supposed to be designed for someone's safety, but I don't think it ever really, you know, it's rarely felt like that. Yeah. Because we've gone from usually feeling like isolated and like there's no support to like, now everybody is asking a lot of questions about us and it's going really fast. And I think it can be a jarring experience, but I mean, Mm -hmm. perfect world and in the right circumstances, it's supposed to, I think, help people feel like they're going to get the best care they need and yeah. offered, you know, medications or other support are going to give them the internal stability so that they can actually move into the work that they need to do. Right. Right. I mean, that's essentially what I think about when I think about the first phase.
0: Yeah. And I mean, and for me in particular, you know, one of the reasons I cited wanting to go was having suicidal ideation. And so they have to assess and make sure, am I going to be safe on the other side? Because there is more autonomy and you have more space and and whatnot. And you have more access to things. So, yeah, it absolutely makes sense. and And it's, you know, maybe maybe that's the business you and I should start is consulting with all these treatment centers about how they can
1: actually make that
0: process like supportive and loving rather than jarring and
1: destabilizing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. I've had some experience with that in uh, you know, working in higher level of care and giving some mm-hmm. recommendations and you've seen it in different mm-hmm. many different now. So yeah, I could. I mean, I think the whole treatment center, you know, industry is starting to understand and get, you know, get smart around, hopefully, you know, the depths of how traumatized individuals can, you know, can present and how mm-hmm. what kind of those with trauma need to feel right. safety and grounding. So, mm-hmm. but it's like eventually that you started to feel that and experience that, And you're able to, I think you named like feeling at some point, feeling like you could ask for what you needed. Yeah. And if I remember correctly this, you know, and I've heard this before too, is this like this dilemma between like, can people just give me what I need? And, or like, do I ask for what I need? Is that like a typical dilemma you think for people that are in a residential setting to, you know, navigate, like, how do I... What's it like around that dilemma?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I feel I have learned over the years that my ability to ask for what I need might be more enhanced than the general person. (laughs) So I want to name that, you know, if you're someone who struggles to ask for what you need, period, like I don't I don't know that this would look similar for you. But for me, my process was where, where do I need to stop being a, like take my therapist hat off and trust the process and go with the flow? And when do I need to, when do I need to say this is not right? And I I don't really want to get into the specifics of it because that like, I really truly don't have any major complaints about the treatment center and and don't want to get into some of those. But, but I definitely had, I had instances where, you know, and what what I did was talk to the therapist that I really trust and said, "This is what's going on for me. this is the this is the dilemma that I'm having here. Can we talk about this? And that was always met with compassion and curiosity and kindness. And I felt like I could always explore those things with the clinicians rather than having to make those decisions myself.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, let's talk about breakthrough moments, yeah, do you want to talk about those and let us know what those were like? yeah, yeah. so
0: the the really big one it was it's funny because I was slated to leave on a Friday, and it didn't happen until the Wednesday before I left, so it was it was like you know, my spirit and soul knew like timing was right, and like I had to be there just long enough to to settle in order to kind of really crack completely. but I I actually interviewed the guy who developed this therapy called revisioning. So you're going to hear all about it at some point in a couple episodes. But I, the whole three weeks had been doing this type of therapy where essentially you're, you're kind of going back and you're, you're tracking your childhood trauma from the beginning. And we got to age 13 and what I told myself I needed at, at that age was autonomy and respect. And when I went through the process of revisioning in that therapy session, I truly in an embodied way felt like I was being given autonomy and respect. Like I was giving it to myself when I didn't get it as a child. And it was it was this really profound moment. And I remember like looking at the therapist being like, holy shit, like is this, this is what's supposed to happen. Oh my God, this is amazing. And And I left that session and was going right into a session with, our mutual friend, who I want to interview at some point, and I want to actually hear, you know, her thoughts on on what happened from her perspective. But, but so I went into a session with Camille, and, it, and I think I had expressed to her my fear that it wasn't going to stick, and she she said, "Well, what would get in the way of it sticking, and where is it located in your body?" And immediately, what came to my mind was fear. And where fear was in my body was in my second chakra, which for folks who know, that's like under the belly button and, and that's where your creative energy and sexual energy. And it's definitely no surprise as I was working on some sexual trauma stuff that it was like, the fear was black ink streaming out of my second chakra as if I was underwater. And, you know, Camille was just like, okay, just, you know, just watch it, just be with it. And then she would say, are you noticing anything else? and i i started to notice this like it felt like like a, a wave kind of like massaging my brain on the inside and she kind of instructed me to just just follow it like okay where is it going now what's happening now and and the energy culminated really strongly behind my third eye and then hit my heart chakra the second chakra and then the first chakra and when it hit the first chakra it exploded inside of me with this like this energy and it was like electric eels swimming up and down my spine and she was just holding space for me and i was crying and laughing and it felt like it was lasting forever and the energy was so intense that there were times where i was just like can i do this and like like i almost wanted to like snap myself out of it but i also i've had semi experiences like that before so i kind of Like there was the part of me that wasn't trusting and the part of me that was. And when the energy like finished moving through, I just remember just crying and I opened my eyes and I was like, Camille, holy shit, what was that? And I was so grateful for her at not stopping that because I think a a therapist who might not be as spiritually driven or somebody who isn't quite as familiar with body-based therapy might've thought that I was dysregulated or that there was something wrong in that moment. But it was that, like that, it was a Kundalini awakening. Like I've, I've researched it now and I know that that's what it was. And, and after that happened, I, I told Camille, I was like, I just want to be outside. I felt high as fuck uh, it felt like I smoked a ton of weed, but not too much that you're like crawling out of your skin it was just everything was beautiful everything was beautiful she had a window and I was just looking out the window like wanting to be there and she's like go get your tarot cards and your crystals and go out go out to the track they had this big track that you could walk around and so I went out there, there was this big tree that I sat under and I created a little grid with my crystals and a hawk came and landed in the tree. I was just looking at everything. Everything was brighter. It felt like the, the trees were like dancing for me in the wind and the the birds were singing for me. It was just this, this experience of everything is connected. And I, I, I felt, oh, I felt love like a love, like I've never felt before. It was so profound and so beautiful. And it lasted for eight hours, like the rest of the day. I remember the person who ended up being like my, one of my BFFs from treatment ended up like walking the track at that time. And I was trying, like, I couldn't really even talk. So I didn't really have all the words for it. And I was going into like a luncheon thing that where they were giving us pizza and Diet Coke. And I was so excited for the Diet Coke, but I was like, how am I going to eat pizza? Like, (laughs) that was just like the kind of like reaction that I had. But it was, it was unbelievable and amazing.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, life changing. I remember we were on the phone right after your walk in the woods. And the tone in your voice was different. I remember you talking about what it was like to feel this love and connection. Yeah. And it sounds like just the blockages that you had worked to remove in the revisioning, yeah, the reorganization created an opportunity for the flow of energy to occur. Yeah, and you got to experience that. I mean it's it is a really sometimes people don't ever experience this and right. It's relatively rare, but it it's powerful right right and and
0: what has what has changed for me since is you know as i've been working through narm and and i think i've talked about this a lot on the podcast one of my issues with narm has been really accepting agency and and feeling okay with having it and using it for my own good <laughs> and since since that experience that switch has been flipped Now I'm not pushing the agency away. I'm able to meet compassion with love rather than, you know, than pushing compassion away, whether it's coming from self or from others. And I mean, I I was in session with my therapist yesterday, just remarking just how different, how different, how differently I come to my own struggles. And, you know, with all that's been going on in the world right now, like I'm fine. And I'm kind of, I, I continue to kind of question like whether or not I'm fine and am I spiritual bypassing, but like, no, I'm, I'm feeling it. I, I just have a different relationship with myself so that I'm able to stay connected and grounded and then can like, I I'm actually, I'm able to be active politically right now and do some of these things that need to be done, but without being connected to myself, I, I wouldn't have had that capacity.
1: Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, you know, the way you're talking about agency is so relevant to self-care, oriented through agency and then through also our heart, you know, because Kundalini energy passes through the heart too. So it's this, we can have access to the heart frequency, being able to feel like we are deserving of our own, you know, sense of well being. And of course, we know that, you know, once that's more intact, that we have so much more energy, capacity, and interest to be able to take care of others without feeling the burden as much, without feeling, you know, a sense of resentment because we've really, we're full, you know, we feel really full inside.
0: Right. And, you know, before this experience, you know, the the thing that I've continued to and I still intellectually struggle with the way that I hurt and abuse myself is essentially in service of staying connected to my family of origin. Right. It's that's the bind that we're in where we as children, we are wired to need that care and connection. And when we don't get it, we then get used to the pain and struggle of not having it and then re re-abuse ourselves essentially. And and that that self-abuse just felt so inevitable. And now on this other side, I recognize that like it didn't have to be that way. And I I was I was telling my therapist yesterday, like, I wish I wish that I could be like, okay, steps one through three. So now I can help all my clients like flip this switch for themselves too. And she's like, she's like, you gotta remember it wasn't just that moment right that moment wasn't the thing that did it it was all of the work leading up to it and you just happen to have like a mystical experience along with it but that's not that's not the thing so so i want i don't want listeners to go out and be like okay i'm gonna go have a kundalini awakening and then everything's gonna be great it's like this is a culmination of tons and tons of deep work that i've been committed
1: to for a long time right right and like a psa about kundalini is that if our system isn't stable that actually can cause lots of mental disturbances. And that's something that, you know, living in an ashram for many years and working with long-term meditators and yogis, I've, I've come across my fair share of folks that, you know, wanting healing experiences went after Kundalini and then because they just didn't have, you know, the right structures some of the healing process that needed to happen prior to that that it became very destabilizing. So, you know, it's really cool to hear about and uh, you know, to hear about an experience where there's integration happening and deepening after the kundalini because there's like the experience but then it's like, well, if we're only going after that then, you know, we're really it hasn't really landed and integrated and what I'm hearing is like you, you know, your growth is continuing, like your experiences are expanding, like you're continuing to have this connection to yourself, that's one of the benefits of Kundalini. And now it's, you know, propagating to other parts of your life. And that's, you know, that's what we can hope for when we have these profound experiences is that they integrate.
0: Yeah. And I had reached out to Susan Lipschitz and had a, a session with her after getting back. And essentially, you know, my my initial ask was like, okay, so what do I do? Like, right? how do, like How do I, how do I continue to cultivate this and integrate? And she's like, you now, you've had the experience of feeling divine love in boundless ways. So she's like, you have access to that forever.
1: That's all you right. need to know. Right. Yeah. I'm just, what I'm really seeing is that pivot point of, I feel joined with my family. You know, there's a joining mm. with my family. That feels familiar. And it might, you know, we may or may not be aware of how sick it continues to make us, but it feels familiar. It feels right. I feel like if I leave it, I'll betray. I feel like if I leave it, I'll be someone I don't recognize. And then in the juxtaposition of this um, Kundalini moment where you're in nature and you're experiencing divine interconnectedness, you know, that sense of interbeing, which is a very different sort of frequency of connection and love. And, you know, ultimately, I think, Sarah, you still are choosing that, Mm. there's still agency involved it's just like there's a continuation of you showing up I'm hearing and just making choices about you know how you want to be and how you want to have a relationship to yourself and the world and that's the part of the integration that I think is you know really important
0: thank you for saying that Mm. We've almost been talking for an hour now already, but but you said at the beginning that there were things that you learned along the way, and I'm I'm just really curious what
1: what that was. You know, I think it's not specific; it's general. The general mm. feeling used to grow for me around you know my own taking down my own veil around what happens inside me and. Mm my relationship in my work as a healer, as a therapist, as a mentor, and as a guide, you know, this barrier with my own self, you know, coming into deeper and deeper honesty, integrity with where I am at truly, you know, so just Mm -hmm. myself into deeper connection with what's really true right now. You know, there's a lot of ways that I've navigated my life 10 steps ahead of myself of like, well, you know, because I can see where I could be or where I'd like to be. And so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, your journey is just, you know, another person that I deeply love and trust. And there's someone else I'm thinking about too, um, who's, in the, who's in the field and has taken a big risk in doing something to take care of themselves, both in a very personal way and also in a really public way. And I'm like, damn, That's some serious courage. And so it makes me think about like where I can be more courageous and where I can be more honest and I can be more humble in my own process. And so that's really what I think cracked and shifted inside me in witnessing your journey over the last, you know, month. And of course, over the last couple of years as a, as a friend. So it's just like turning the light in on myself and thinking like, okay, great. You know, where... Where is this touching and let it and allow it to touch me and transform, you know, parts that are like hidden in a closet. Like, yeah, there's some things that maybe I do need to say, maybe not even to others, but maybe to myself. Hmm. So I think that's really what I take in. And so what's really touched me from your experience deeply this last few months is reflecting back my own relationship to my own self-care. And it's got me really digging in deep about ways that I still don't let myself have exactly what I need and ways that I, in small ways, still sabotage myself. And getting to some of the deep roots of that has been Really important for me, so and I mean, this is like the beauty of you talked earlier about like being in connection with others and this mm-hmm. transforming together. It's like as you come into your own process, you know, that's going to have a shift on your community. You know, they call it sangha or satsang, it's like who you surround yourself with and it impacts you, and vice versa. So, you know, there's an interconnection. So, as you As you go through your process, if I let it touch me, it also has a healing effect. And so the things that you've been up to, you know, happen to really touch very specific things in me around my own practices and my own orientation to self. So I've been looking at like, where do I I still avoid taking care of myself? And honestly, in this year of 2020, this pandemic, For me, there's really no more time to sit around with this particular issue. It's actually, for me, it's this really deep calling to now step into and through the barrier of attending to myself in a way that I don't think I have ever done before. Mm. So yeah, there's been lots that I've taken away from, Mm -hmm. you know, being alongside you. Thank you. If we let ourselves impact each other, this is what can happen, right? If we let ourselves have an impact on each other. you know yeah, I think you and I could you know ease not I don't think it would be easy for us, but like we could put up a shield and not really only mm-hmm. selectly say certain things or not let ourselves be touched by each other, but we because we do, then this is you know also there's a deep possibility of growth in these little pods these like community pods that we have with people so and And, big and this is really what
0: I want to extend to listeners too you know a lot of the feedback that I get from either young clinicians or people who are moving into the field that they didn't realize they could still be human and and have all of these struggles right and When I feel connected to somebody else as a clinician, it's because they move through the world that way that you just described, right? That what you're going through, I'm connecting with it in myself and then taking a look at what, what my work is, what I need to do in order to heal, move, grow,
1: whatever. So that's it, dude. I know. I know. I I found my, I have a question about that. Actually, it's just, I know we've been talking about this theme, but like coming out of this experience with your own treatment, I'm wondering if you have any new insights on, you know, this paradigm we're talking about, you know, around as a therapist and, you know, our community as mental health practitioners and how we, you know, navigate our relationships with our client and ourselves. Do you have any new insights that have come out of this time around this paradigm?
0: well i think that and it's this is going to be an ongoing journey so it's i'm not like oh i i have completed this part of the journey and from here on out i will be this way but i realize how subtly prior to this experience I really was trying to like change other people, right? Like when I started this podcast, a lot of it was out of anger at therapists who don't do their work. And, you know, essentially kind of this like passive aggressive call out to like, look, I'm doing my work, you should do yours too. And from this place right now, I feel like if you don't, cool. But if you're doing your work, come with me, come hang out with me and let's just be cool together. And then in terms of clients, like, I think 2020 in particular and the fact that this is the first time on a on a large scale that therapists are experiencing exactly what our clients are experiencing, our field will never be the same again because self-disclosure now is is it's, it's necessary on some level. Right. Like. I I didn't tell every single client that I went to treatment. I told the ones actually who had been to treatment because I knew I told them before. Some of them I told after because I had wanted to integrate. But I'm less concerned now about how it will affect them because my humanity continues to affect them, whether I tell them these things or not. And everything is just grist for the mill in terms of the therapeutic relationship. And because I feel so much more grounded and connected to myself and know what's true for me, I'm not afraid anymore, at least today. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I I think I'd love to have, you know, maybe this is another conversation on another podcast, but I would love to talk about this very topic about how our field is changing yes. with pandemic and you know I think you've heard me talk about somatic resonance and when this thing started happening I did a lot of support groups for therapists because it was like oh my gosh people are seeing me in my home you know I'm holding my either my pet or my baby or I'm in my bedroom (laughs) you know these sort of barriers have started to crumble and it can be very distressing it mm-hmm. can be very awakening. And also, just like you mentioned, the parallel process that we're in with our clients now, this need for disclosure and also sort of like the, the impetus for disclosure is, is changed. And so there's got to be something that we're being asked to as a field to think about in this experience. And, you know, I think it's a worthy conversation, it will be an ongoing one. But, you know, those of us therapists that have been working on examining self-disclosure and how it, how it relates, especially with the work of working with trauma survivors, you know, I think that this time is also a time to think about how, where can we update, <laughs> where can we update, how do we, how do we connect in this new way? Right and also, you know, be true to ourselves? How do we take care of ourselves and stay in connection with others? there's a lot to learn from this time, a lot to talk about.
0: Well, let's definitely bookmark that for another one, because I'm sure listeners are going to want to have you back. And duh, I always want to talk to you. So yeah. (laughs) Well, is there anything else that you can think of? Like, I, I feel complete in terms of you know, what I wanted to share and what I wanted listeners to hear. But is is there anything else that you can think of that we haven't
1: talked about? Yeah, I guess I have one question. And, you know, this may not be about your process, but maybe you can just speak to the relationship between going rock bottom and seeking, you know, treatment. Because, you know, I think there's a presumption that maybe that's, you know, what has to happen. You know, it's a last ditch effort. And I just wanted to kind of talk about that, conceptualization of treatments and if you have mm-hmm. anything to share on that.
0: Yeah, I mean from from the clinical perspective, I've always felt like rock bottom, rock bottom can feel like an absolute term, but I think it's relative, you know, and and, and in Al Anon, I've I feel like this was an Al Anon bottom for me for sure. And it was just relative to my capacity for living a life that felt worth living, you know, and I don't think that everybody needs to get there in order to go to treatment. Right. And I also want to let folks know there's a lot of different options. Like I, I decided that treatment was the best thing for me because I could figure out no other way to get the amount of time that I needed and the intensive therapy that I wanted. I could have gone on a retreat for five days, five or six days. I was looking into those as other options too. There's also intensive outpatient. I just, I needed to get out of my home. So IOP was not something I wanted, I wanted to get away, get out of my home. So there's so many different options and it's whenever you're fed up, right? Like in 12 Step, we talk about sick and tired of being sick and tired. That for me was suicidal ideation. For somebody else, it could just be like, I'm not happy. I want to be happy. Like whatever. It it is whatever you make of it. And that idea of rock bottom doesn't mean that you have to lose everything in order to make that choice. That's a really good question.
1: Well, I just appreciate you sharing as usual, bringing all your honesty and your heart into this conversation. Duh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I... I'm so, I'm so glad that you were willing to do this with me and that I didn't have to be by myself, you know? And I I guess that's the other thing that I've really, really appreciated now in a heartful way is that I'm never alone. Mm. I'm never alone. And I've done a lot of amazing work to get this great support system and, I'm so, I'm just so grateful. And I'm, I mean, I love you more than I can even say. I just, I can't, <laughs> I, can, I just can't. I just love you so much and I appreciate you. I received that being felt.
1: I love you too.
0: So that was a lot. That was a lot of my personal information. And again, I'll just say to listeners, thank you for holding it with care. And thank you to Livia for being there for me through all of it. And thank you to the Creative Imposter Studios and Andrea Clunder for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. To find out more about Livia, you can go to www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Thanks. Until next time. Bye-bye.